Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I'm excited you're listening in for season four, where each one, each month I'm co-hosting this podcast with a different young woman. My special co-host shares her faith story and questions related to spiritual matters. And then we're inviting guests on to share their stories and also address some of my co-host's honest questions. I want to say a quick thank you here to those of you who are investing in this podcast through Patreon. If you haven't checked out Patreon yet and are interested in learning about how you can help keep this podcast on the air, starting at just $5 a month, more information can be found on my website at findingsomethingreal.com. And seriously, friend, I keep designing custom stickers to give them out, and I think they're getting cuter and cuter. (laughs) So if you want to sign up just to get the one-time pack of stickers, you can always sign up to support this podcast and cancel your support at any time, for real. Okay, so end of commercial there. And today, we're back with this month's special co-host, Bernice. If you haven't already listened to Bernice share her story, I hope you take a listen to the previous episodes we've recorded, where we've talked about the redemptive power of Christian community, but also ways the church can do better. I've really enjoyed those nuanced conversations, and you can find those episodes linked in today's show notes or on your favorite listening app. But Bernice, welcome back. I'm so glad to be back. Thank you, Janelle. (laughs) We're recording at a very different time of the day. So I feel like our voices are different. The rhythm is different. (laughs) I feel more brain fog this time of evening. Um, This is going to be interesting. And you seem so calm and relaxed, which I really admire. This is my my two toddlers are sleeping voice. (laughs) So we're going to try really hard to keep it that way. Um, but no, I totally get it because I had to have a cup of coffee after dinner in order to be able to like function at all. (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad you're really good at faking the aliveness and the peace. Uh, yeah, I don't usually feel a lot of peace at this time of evening. My kids are usually like right before bed and I know our guests here have children, so they probably maybe, um, could weigh in on that, but we'll get to that in a second. So We've got, Bernice, one more recording to do together. Um, that's a bonus episode we release each month for those on Patreon. And I have to say, it feels like this journey of recording together, it's gone by really fast. Does it feel like that for you or it, is it different? No, it totally does. I feel like, Janelle, we might just have to do it again sometime. <laughs> we might. Maybe I could come on your show. See. Yeah. Yes. it would be super fun. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, so one of the questions, Bernice, that you shared in our original conversation was how can the church help the many people who are deconstructing their faith? Um, I'd love for you to unpack that question a little bit more and remind the listener why that's an important question for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I still identify as a Christian, um, I have gone through, you know, there's this really popular, I guess, label that people use now, um, this deconstruction label that people kind of use to explain maybe you had a relationship with the church and it looked one way and then you had a seer, like a season of trying to figure out, wait, 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 what do I actually want to carry with me in my Christian walk and what is not really 
maybe necessary. Um, you know, we kind of, and every church happens at every church, we can get kind of caught up in our traditions that might not necessarily be rooted in scripture. And so I think that almost every person goes through a time in their life where they have to really get their hands into their faith and what they believe um, and really figure out, okay, am I actually going to, is this going to be mine or am I going to leave this behind? And so I think that, you know, we, we now have this phrase, this, this term deconstruction to explain to, to kind of, I guess it's almost a buzzword now, but um, I think that a lot of people in leadership in churches are not uh, hospitable to people who are in that season of wrestling, um, in that season Mm. of doubt and in that season of trying to really figure out, okay, but what does Jesus actually say? Um, but I think that's a really holy place. And so I really, um, I'm really passionate about creating spaces that are safe for those people and for those questions. Mm. Well, I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation about some of that today, um, because we are joined by two special guests who um, are here to share some of their story and have a conversation about faith deconstruction and their own experience with it. Um, Our guests today are a married couple who live in northern Washington state with their son and daughter. Hans is the executive director of the Lighthouse Mission in Bellingham, Washington. He is committed to helping people who are broken, abandoned, and poor experience transformed lives through the healing power of Christ. He dreams of a future where people who are once broken are brought into total life flourishing, connected, healed, and whole. Hans has over 14 years of homeless ministry leadership experience at the mission. He studied business at Western Washington University and biblical studies at Regent College in Vancouver. Janelle is a blogger and recently received her certificate in apologetics from Biola University. A fire hose of ideas. She's an, a published poet. She writes children's books, does educational consulting, and is a sometimes professor at the local university for education courses. I'm very excited to welcome Hans and Janelle to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited about this. Um, Janelle, not only do you and I share the same name, we also share the same birthday. My favorite thing. And we go way back. So do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, we um, were in the same youth group in Snohomish, Washington. So we are Snohomies. If you're from Snohomish, you're a Snohomie. And <laughs> important um, for me to know because we're yeah. looking at moving to the Snohomish area. Oh, so yeah. I yeah. needed to know. Snohomie too. Um, and yeah, we went to the same incredible youth group. And uh, our youth pastor died a couple years ago in a head-on collision. Um, and he was so impactful to our life. Janelle, and I haven't kept in contact, I don't know, like 20, how long has it been? 20 years or, mm-hmm. or maybe over that. And then we reconnected at Jonathan Schmidt's funeral and um, found out that we both are creative and love the Lord still and um, and really connected and then started talking more on the phone and uh, reconnecting. And that was wonderful. Started listening to your podcast and talking writing and is yeah. great. We yeah. both found out we were fans of Mama Bear Apologetics. That's right. Had yeah. some of the same yeah. passions. Mm-hmm. And I always felt, even though we were three years apart, so we have the same birthday, but three years yeah. apart, I always felt like we were kindred spirits because oh, we did. Yeah. We were both a little quirky and a little different and went to me the beat too. of our own drum. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Just a little. I'm saying that about myself. <laughs> and school, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just... I always felt connected to you in that way. And you were always very, even though I was much, at the time, it felt so much younger. It doesn't feel that young. Even though I felt younger at the time, I never felt anything but acceptance from you, even back oh, then. Wow. Um, and I, I love that quote from Maya, is it Maya Angelou, who says, uh, you'll forget what people said and did, but you'll never forget the way that they made you feel. And mm. uh, and that's what I remember about you, Janelle. So. Anyway, uh, you and your family recently came out to Chelan. We got to spend some time getting to know each other at this stage in our life, and it was just such a joy. So I am so excited that you and Hans got to come on this podcast, and I'm stoked about this. So Janelle, yeah, your kids were amazing. Her kids were amazing. They, <laughs> it was one of the. I have to say, it's one of the few times 
we've ever connected with a family and our kids immediately um, were gelled. like gelled like family and um, both our little boys cried when they left each other and it was I'm like I feel, Hans that'll I break your heart yeah that has never been so easy as it was and yeah. you guys are just incredible parents and oh. it was so wonderful to be with your family well yeah. I feel like we're stuck now I mean we, between Jonathan <laughs> and Jesus and uh history and birthdays I mean yeah. you're yeah. stuck in our life <laughs> so uh Janelle you write uh at a blog called the resurrectionist which is an interesting mm-hmm. title will you tell mm-hmm. me a little bit more about that passion what is that about yeah, I, um, I have a passion for, um, well, I should say a couple of years ago, we ended up leaving our church and, um, and part of that was finding that our church was uh, going, didn't really adhere to the Bible anymore to the, um, is that what you would say, Hans? Yeah, the authority of scripture started to, to lessen. To, to ebb away, to be eroded and in different areas. And we saw that in different ways coming out and we ended up leaving our church and this was a church we had been to um, going to for 15 years. Um, we had both been at during college a little bit. And, and so it was a pretty big deal. And our, you know, we had our babies there, our core group of friends was there. Um, and we had been in uh, some people that were our core group of friends. We'd been to their weddings. Our wedding was there. Hans's grandparents actually got married there yeah. and his dad uh, helped put the roof on the church and, didn't, didn't he get saved there too? Yeah, my dad was saved there. Yeah. My mom was saved there. Yeah, so it's a church with a lot of family history. Hans is a fourth uh, generation Bellinghammer. And so a, a lot of history. And, um, and we ended up leaving. And what I was seeing was these people that were dear to my hearts um, over the course of 15 years. Uh, I, we started out in the same Bible studies together. And it's like they had started to... Um, gone in a different direction than I had gone. And it's like, we all got on this train together and we were traveling to this country and it was an overnight train and we arrived and we pulled up the shades and I'm like, we're not supposed to be here. This is the wrong place. And some people looked out the window and were like, oh no, we weren't, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with where we are. And other people were like, no, I knew we were headed here. This is where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm talking, of course, faith-wise, that we went to a different place in our faith than um, I thought we were headed 15 years ago. And so I started having these really hard conversations with friends and learning that they didn't, um, they no longer believed in the Bible and, um, and were kind of picking and choosing what they would want. And really, this was before kind of that term deconstruction was becoming popular. And so I, you know, so now I know, oh, they're deconstructing. That's the term we're calling this now. And And so my blog was in reaction to kind of um, wanting to help start, really, I want to start um, putting uh, resources out there and connecting people to resources and thoughts out there for women like me that have young families, we want to disciple our kids, and also have dear friends that are going in another direction with their faith. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and maybe you had traveled a faith journey together, but now they're in, they're in a different land than you're in. And how do we talk about these things? And how do we, how do we live together in a way that is um, respectful and also engaging, but honest too? So, mm-hmm. so what, okay. So Hans, what's your, what's been your experience with deconstruction? My experience with deconstruction, there's little kind of aspects of the idea of deconstruction in my life. Uh, I know just when my faith became my own, uh, no longer my parents' faith that I grew up with. There's a level of, of uh, you know, uncertainty or challenge of your faith. And for me, uh, that was the death of a friend at a summer camp that I worked at, worked at and really having to, to, in a sense, own my faith and my world wasn't any more about allowance and Nintendo and things like that. It was like, oh, this this is a big deal. Someone just died. And then probably when I went to seminary, um, a lot of the ideas I grew up with were being challenged. And I was like, oh, I hadn't really thought about this before. And having to change my mind on some things, on those little kind of sacred cows that you hold on to mm-hmm. uh, that weren't necessarily biblical, but I thought they were at the time. And, but I'd say too, not just deconstructed, but rebuilt with a more solid biblical foundation. Um, and that 
would probably not align with normal deconstruction, uh, but, <laughs> but it was being kind of torn down a bit and rebuilt with a more solid foundation, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. How about you, Janelle? Do you want to add anything to what you already shared? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would, I think that it might be good for us to define terms as far as what deconstruction yeah. means. Um, I've heard, uh, that's my next question. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll say that I think there's a difference between wrestling with your faith. Maybe we can term it and asking hard questions yeah. and deconstruction as we're seeing now in this cultural moment. Um, and so I would say I've never deconstructed and I've certainly wrestled with my faith and in, in high school, like when we were in youth group, we had ministry team at 6 a.m. and, and, you know, and Jonathan Schmidt was teaching us apologetics and theology. And I was also reading apologetics books in um, high school, like by Josh McDowell. And, um, and uh, so I was kind of intaking it then. And I had hard questions about my faith. And I, and then when my faith became my own is when I moved out of my parents' house as 18. And I went to live on Vancouver Island in a very remote area at a mission counseling center in summer camp. And I saw a lot of really, really, really difficult things. It's a very remote area. Um, lots of First Nation communities um, that uh, had a lot of um, hard things going on and people would come for counseling and I would uh, tutor the kids that would come. So I saw a lot of hard situations and learned about residential schools, which we're hearing a lot about now with all these graves being uncovered in Canada of, um, you know, uh, secret graves and things like that. Um, terrible atrocities done that were usually run by churches, you know. Um, and so I heard about that when I was 18 and um, heard of a lot of tragedies in these communities and wrestled again with that question, how does a good God allow this to happen? How, how can Christians be involved in some of these ter terrible, traumatizing stories that I've heard firsthand um, from people in villages of what happened to them or their, or their parents or their kids? Um, and so I think that uh, my faith really became my own, but I also saw incredible faith, incredible hospitality um, living on the coast. And it fundamentally changed me and who I am and my faith. And so, um, so that, that's my experience. And, and I've, I've had questions, you know, different things come up in your life where, again, you ask the hard questions. Well, why did this hard thing happen? You know, um, and I would say my experience with deconstruction is, is mainly with my friends where I would see some of those hallmarks of this cultural moment happening with my friends of um, looking for question or questioning without um, really looking for answers mm -hmm. um, and an ability, you know, that kind of wanting to be an ex, how do you say it, ex-vangelical. Um, so I'm deconstructing and now I'm looking back and mocking what I used to be, you know, um, and, and kind of, and a, a culture of, of that being okay and funny and, and, um, and really a good thing, you know, almost a moral thing to make fun of, um, evangelicals. Like you have a moral higher ground to, to bring those people down. Um, so, you know, so I've, I've seen that in, in a friend group I've been in. Um, I've certainly seen that and, and I, and I have seen people deconstruct and not known what was happening, but just heard my friends asking these hard questions in different ways that, but they really weren't looking for answers, wow. um, at least where I would look, you know? So yeah. would, would you say the difference then between the wrestling with the questions and really like searching those things out? versus deconstruction in this cultural moment is a satisfaction with staying deconstructed, in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's a satisfaction with, um, you know, a searching for almost a searching for questions and more questions, but not necessarily answers. Hmm. I think that there's a um, you know, there's the power in my truth, but not really finding the truth. And hmm. so, you know, a big part when I'm talking with my friends about, you know, um, what, whatever they believe, a lot of times I'm trying to ask questions of where do, where do you get your truth from? Because the answer usually is um, from their own thinking or other people's thoughts. It's not necessarily like I get my truth. Um, like I, I minored in ancient Greek in college and I thought uh, because I wanted to read the Bible in the original text. And if, if I think if the Bible we find out it isn't true and reliable and valid, um, our whole religion 
is done for like that, you know, that's, that's what we rest Christianity on and learn about God through, um, the big story of the Bible, right. Through these, uh, through all these books of the Bible. And so if it's not true, I, I don't think Christianity can be true. And so, but my friends, they aren't getting, they don't believe in that truth in the Bible. They're finding their truth in, um, Richard Rohr or, you know, in like the universal Christ or in, um, Rachel Held Evans inspired books. A lot of my a couple friends really loved her book. I think it's called inspired. That was about the Bible. And that's now how they view the Bible as this living document that moves and grows and kind of with our culture. And we can look through back through it, knowing more now having progressed more now. And now we can look back and see all these stories with our modern eyes and have a better way to understand them. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that, but that's, that's, um, that's how some of my friends talk about the Bible. Why do you reject that narrative of the Bible, Janelle? Why, why do you, why do you not believe that? Well, uh, for many reasons, <laughs> many reasons. I don't think that um, that that viewpoint, I think, really throws out 2000 years of scholarship on how to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so anytime where we're saying we know better now, I think that's really suspect. And honestly, one of the first things there's many reasons why, but one of the first things I reject that is because um, we're just sinful people. And we're as sinful now in modern America as they were 2000 years ago. And, and I, I really th don't think we know um, from what the Bible tells us about sin and who we are as human. I don't think we know better now. I think we're still sinful people in need of the redemptive work of Christ. And that hasn't changed. And any time that we're starting to say we know better than all these other people, um, I and the Bible talks about that, um, that, uh, in different ways, I think that's, that's really suspect. And, and, you know, it's kind of like, if the gospel that you are telling does not, I've told you this, Janelle, when we came and visited, if the gospel that we are preaching and telling and living by doesn't work for a refugee woman that has just left her country, you know, then it's not the gospel. It's mm -hmm. going, it, the gospel is for all time, everywhere in the world. And so if it only works for me as a white middle-class suburban mom, it's not the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we, we better look at that because, you know, this Middle Eastern text is um, preaching a very specific gospel about a very real God. And it's not a made up um, malleable type of thing to fit our times. So. I'd almost say too, it's like a, an alien technology the scriptures are in that they somehow God chose to communicate, <clears throat> reveal himself into the world through the scriptures. Uh, and it works. Other countries read this. People in poverty read this. People of means read this. And the spirit illuminates them. And they, they get it. They understand the gospel through this weird unusual technology <laughs> of the bible <laughs> <laughs> aka the holy spirit right <laughs> yeah. bernice do you have any thoughts on what janelle and hans just shared i don't think i do yet i'm just soaking it in <laughs> yeah i think it's interesting so the term deconstruction it has kind of gotten this and bernice and i have talked about this like this bad reputation in faith circles but it's interesting. Do you feel like our culture really does differentiate between um, going through a time of wrestling in our faith um, to deconstruction? Or do you think the church has done a good job of differentiating those two things? Because something that I hear sometimes from people that I talk to is, well, I wanted to ask questions, but I didn't know how to ask these hard questions in the church. Do you think that people are actually, and when I think of Bernice's question, which is how do we help the many people who are deconstructing, are we creating an environment in our churches where people feel free to ask these hard questions before th they've decided, I don't want, I, I, I'm done with this? My, my thinking is that uh, I feel like, I mean, I've, I've been a part of some wonderful churches mm -hmm. and uh and the ones that are really wonderful for me when I have questions about things, they really invite it. And it's not a thing to fear mm -hmm. per se. 
And you know, if people have doubts. It's not like, oh no, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it. Uh, it's more of like, well, yeah, let's, yeah, there's some really good answers to these mm-hmm. questions. Let's explore these. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, you know, it's kind of a, a grace-filled environment too. I would say that, you know, when somebody has an honest question and honest struggle, it's not like, well, you shouldn't think that way, or that's, mm-hmm. that's you're just bad thinking, or that kind of thing. It's really a, a when you have a grace-filled environment, it is safe. And it's also safe to um, to mess up, you know, and to make mistakes. And I find when people can do that, uh, they feel more free to maybe heal from wounds and things, especially if you have like a, been a part of a church where there's been, you know, an authoritarian pastor or different things have happened where you feel wounded. Um, it's, it's hard to be in those environments. I, I found that in seminary, actually, a lot of, a lot of uh, students had come from contexts like that and they were looking to, to find some healing just in academic studies and be, and have a free place to ask those questions. The reality though in seminary was that people really, you went from a busy kind of life working in ministry and getting burnt out uh, and feeling wounded to like double time in academics and not having it's any very time, rigorous studies. Not having yeah. any time to actually <laughs> uh, process what you experienced yeah. and heal from it. But um, yeah, I feel like if you create an environment where it's free to to speak your mind, where it's welcome, where um, you can actually deviate from orthodoxy, you know, and and still be accepted and loved, uh, you're you feel more like being a part of that. And the relationship is there, and I think uh, that's where people can find their way. I think a lot better. And that's I, I mean I, I work in homeless ministry, and for people to to heal and to grow and to mature in that context, you have to be in an absolutely safe place for them, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and because if they're in survival mode or trying to protect themselves. There's no way you can be honest uh, about your your questions or your struggles. And I mean, I'm working with addicts and prostitutes and, and everybody under the sun. And, you know, if you smoked meth the night before and you don't feel safe to share that, uh, how are you going to heal from your meth addiction? Like you have to feel safe. And in my experience, that sense of safety always is top down in a leadership, typically hierarchical uh, leadership context and it requires the leadership to be honest about their failures too so it's safe for those other folks to voice their failures and find healing well and yeah and we have this whole like the new testament speaks often about you know the way that we're placed in community that like we are called to um to stir one and up one another up to uh love and good works that we're called to be in community together um and it's so much for this reason too. Like if we can be safe together, if then we can hurt together. And you know, when when there's a physical hurt in your body, the rest of the body compensates for that. Like the rest of the body is invested in like, you know what, you, you get a big cut on your knee. You know, the rest of your body, you know, your immune system, your blood stream, all of the things I don't know anything about. They're all <laughs> working together to help you heal. And so it's the same way, you know, in Christian community, when there is hurt, then the whole community can come together for the sake of healing. Mm-hmm. And I would agree too, even around issues of doctrine and whatnot, there's a, you know, I can spin out my thinking sometimes and it's really nice to have conversation partners to bring you mm-hmm. back around to be like, oh yeah, that is right. What was I thinking with that too? Mm-hmm. And it really takes place not just my own sort of personal individualistic study of the scriptures, but it's in a context of community where you're unpacking these things and discovering uh, the the meaning behind behind the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I know people who have gone the deconstruction route, and mm-hmm. they're at the point um, in their life where I don't even know if they would call themselves a Christian anymore. Maybe they would. Um, mm-hmm. And they still talk about Jesus, like this is who Jesus is, and they share different videos and different things. But it's so biblically off base that it's a different gospel, right? And right. I, I really like the book that Elisa Childers wrote, yeah. Another Gospel. It's it's yeah. different. It's not the same. And so 
how do we love that part of the body when it doesn't feel like the body anymore? Well, I, th- I think that's a really good, those, that's many of my conversations I've had when we left our church, I probably had like 20 or 25 hard conversations with people. And I had, um, quit my job. Hans had gotten a promotion as the director and I had quit my job that same year as a high school English teacher and literacy coach and stayed at home and kind of threw myself into the church with our kids and volunteered and made all these different connections with people. So, so it was even more painful as we pulled away because I like upped the community and connection before. And, um, and that's one thing that I was finding just what you were talking about, Janelle, is that we were using the same terms and, but talking about very different things. And it was confusing to me because I'd walk away from conversations being like, we're like feeling off kilter. Like I know we said these same things, but something doesn't feel right. You know, as my friend would talk about, oh yeah, I believe in the, um, I believe in scriptures in this way, that way, you know, in X, Y, and Z. But then she'd go on to talk about it and be like, I don't, I don't think that's, that's accurate, you know, in the, in the way those terms have been defined for many, many years. Um, those definitions are now changing and people are using the same words. And I think that my way of caring for the body of Christ that I have felt with, and, and I should say too, I was talking with Hans earlier about this, um, about what should we share on the podcast and, and uh, what should we not share? <laughs> and, but um, one thing, all the secrets. Um, uh, one thing that I realized was that I had a lot of friendships. So my closer friendships were not healthy ones. So with some of my friends that were deconstructing, there were two things going on. Oh, wow, they're deconstructing. And as we're talking about these hard things and how they're treating me, I'm now realizing, oh, this is a really unhealthy friendship. And I had seen signs of it before in the couple of years leading up to it. And then because now finally we're talking about the real things, like finding something real, we're talking about the real things now and how I'm being treated and how these conversations are going down or, and it could be just ghosting like, oh, we used to hang out all the time and now you aren't returning my texts because it's too uncomfortable, right? And I would say that um, sometimes when you deconstruct, or when you're talking about people and you're talking about these hard things and maybe your friends are deconstructing, you might start realizing unhealthy things you are doing or unhealthy things they are doing in the relationship. So there could be two things going on, right? This relational piece, as well as this intellectual theological piece. And, um, and I, you know, and sometimes I avoid, right? I I didn't quite text that person back as as much or as quickly as I would have. I'm not engaging as much because it's so hard. Mm -hmm. And so I would say it'd be really good to notice that uh, of what's going on in those relationships And then the other way I feel called is to stay, if it's a healthy relationship, stay in um, connection with that person as much as you can, right? If it's healthy, then make that heart, you know, stay in community, stay in relationship, go for that walk or grab that beer or, you know, go, you know, have, go and do that play date, whatever it is, however you connect. And then the other thing is um, to put a pebble in the person's shoe, like they, um, who is it, Brett? Uh, I can't remember his last name. He wrote that book, Tactics. Greg Coco. Or that, it's that, yeah. And he talks about that, you know, you don't have to like have these conversion talks with people. Instead, you can just ask them questions that put a little pebble in their shoe. And a lot of times, um, like one of my friends, I was just talking with her and she was uh, talking about how she doesn't really believe in a hell. There's no hell. Um, And a former pastor's daughter and, uh, and talking about that. And at the end of her talking, I just asked her a bunch of questions about it. And at the end of it, I said, well, where do you think um, Hitler goes and all these people and rapists and all these people who have committed atrocities, right? And, um, and she said to me, that is what I haven't worked out yet. Mm-hmm. And, and we were able to have this great conversation about it, right? And, and because I'm in a and these are authentic conversations. I think you really have to feel that real curiosity. You're not trying to ask them questions to put that pedal in their shoe or ask them questions to catch them. 
you're trying to ask them questions because you want to authentically engage as another caring person in their life that loves them deeply, no matter what the answer is, and because you're in relationship with them. And, and because I respect this person is incredibly intelligent. Every time I spend time with her, she gives me some guiding quote or incredible thing that she said that is just echoing in my head for the next three weeks, right? And so, um, and actually she was one of the people that made me realize I, it was a relationship problem I was having with some of my friends who are deconstructing because she was a panentheist and disagreed with me on many, many hot topics. And yet we can converse at length respectfully to each other. And that wasn't happening in my other relationships. And that started to give me a heads up like, oh, these are actually unhealthy relationships with friends who are deconstructing. It's not just the deconstructing going on. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. I know for myself, I just make fun of people. That's... <laughs> What? <laughs> do you see homeless people deconstructing i don't well no i don't see homeless folks deconstruct i mean their whole life is deconstructed in the mm. sense of of everything has fallen apart for a person uh yeah. so they're not in kind of the they don't have the luxury necessarily to be able to sit back and contemplate you know whatever idea from scripture they're 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 just trying to get their families back and not pick up again and and not get assaulted in their tent i think that's kind of the life they live mm -hmm. and so yeah deconstruction isn't necessarily a part of my world a whole lot yeah honestly. and when you think of it i wonder i haven't read much on this and this is a blog article right waiting to happen is how much of deconstructionism in in the in this cultural moment, moment not asking the hard questions but the we're, you know, we're tearing apart everything and asking questions and landing on our own truths, like that type of deconstruction. You know, it is a luxury that, you know, the ideas that are being on, landed on, like they're, you know, like what happens to the rapist? Well, for someone coming from a war-torn country where rape is used as a war tactic, like the answers that are being found in deconstructionism, they don't hold up in the refugee camp you know, um, is, is what I would say. And, and that's concerning to me because um, at some point for our friends who are having these hard questions, those answers will not hold up for them anymore when life, you know, hits them hard. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. They're not satisfying enough for yeah. the person who's in the ditch near death. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I listened to a podcast between Elisa Childers and Sean McDowell. Um, I think it was last year. And he was talking about deconstruction. Um, and he was sharing that people do not convert to a deconstructed faith. Uh, and when I say deconstructed faith, like progressive Christianity is what I yeah. think is the cultural moment, right? It right. naturally progresses to that, mm -hmm. um, at least in where we live in Western, yeah. uh, you know, States, Washington. Yeah, Washington. Um, and so, but it's not a saving gospel, right? The new, like this, you can't stay there forever. I think, uh, was it Caleb Kaltenbach when he came on and talked with us about doubt? He said, doubt is an important thing, but you mm -hmm. can't stay there forever uh, because then it can become like, hey, I want to put God in his place and I want to be the one to figure out what my truth is. Right. Or, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think even like thinking about, you know, deconstruction, I think like everyone lives somewhere, um, you know, whether, you know, people, whether someone's fortunate enough to have, you know, a home or whether someone is, you know, like you work mm -hmm. with a lot of people who are on the street hunts, everyone lives somewhere. Um, and then for a while, I don't, maybe they're still super popular, but, um, Joanna Gaines fixer upper, um, <laughs> super popular. And so like the whole demo day thing, like it, it's like deconstruction is demo day, mm -hmm. but the show doesn't end on demo day. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's the whole process of rebuilding. Like we're not meant to live in these deconstructed states, you know, no, you're not supposed to live in a house that's just been demolished. That's drywall dust everywhere, you know, lead paint, chips on the floor like we are not supposed to live in that deconstructed state nor should we let the people around us live in that deconstructed state mm -hmm. it's our role in christian community to get someone on the process of like getting out of that 
Mm-hmm. Why do you think, I'm going to throw this out to any of you, um, that so often the rebuilding is building something new versus building on the foundation of, of Jesus and what the word of God actually, like what the Bible says. Why is it? Because I understand, you know, Bernice, you've been through some church hurt. You guys have too. I mean, there's like, I can understand being wounded and wanting to reject certain things, but why is the rejection uh, the biblical version of Jesus Christ? What, what do you guys think that is? What's happening in our world that it's like, let's try something different. Let's try something well, different. I, Go ahead. I, I think it's interesting because like so often what we see isn't that people are really familiar with orthodoxy. Like what, you, like even earlier, I think Janelle, you had referenced like the ancient beliefs about Christ. Mm-hmm. Like if something, you something can't be true that we just realized, like that doesn't work. Um, but, you know, if we're looking at like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, like these old, like, professions of faith that the church has been using for hundreds and thousands of years. Um, I don't think that a lot of people actually have intimacy with orthodoxy. Mm. And so when they're deconstructing, you know, they're not like, I mean, bringing it back, I guess, even to the, the analogy of a home, you know, if, if our faith is a home, then the, like the studs are orthodoxy, like we're built on orthodoxy. Um, but some people are not like some people, the studs are, are, you know, um, American Christian nationalism and Mm -hmm. that doesn't hold up. And so they don't have that foundation of Orthodox belief to build off of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, Hans and I were talking earlier and, um, and it's amazing to me how many people I know who used to be, I thought Orthodox Christians, Orthodox, like little O type of Orthodox. Yes. Yeah. No, for somebody listening right now who doesn't know what Orthodoxy means, would somebody, would one of you want to share what that means? Just because it's kind of a Christianese word. Yeah, like a historic Christian who's checking the boxes of what Christians have believed for 2000 years um, would be a kind of this, like Elisa Childers talks about historic Christian or Orthodox Christian, but it's not Greek Orthodoxy. necessarily it could be but you know it's not that denomination and um but I was thinking about you know some friends that I know who I thought were historic Christians or orthodox Christians when I ask them questions now or we get in conversations they're saying things about God or about Jesus showing that they actually never really understood deeper deeply what the gospel was Mm -hmm. like um a friend saying how um, she doesn't like Easter because she just believes that a father killing their son, his son for the redemption of all is really cosmic child abuse. And, um, and I, and I was thinking, I don't, and I was so kind of shocked by what she said, because she's been so embedded in Christianity that I just realized she doesn't understand the Trinity, that it's really the father killing himself you know, and, and I've had that, that type of thing happen with several friends where people who've been grown up in Christian homes in the church will say something and they've left those beliefs, but they'll say something about what they used to believe. And it's a totally um, theologically wrong view of, of uh, what Christianity is. And that, and it's been shocking to me. And, And I think part of this is deeply, um, you know, with what's going on with this, this moment is this cultural moment is a real lack of Christian education. Mm-hmm. You know, we're letting Sunday schools that teach moralism and humanism raise our kids. And that's, you know, that 30 minutes on Sundays is the most they get and veggie tales <laughs> and praying and praying before bed. And if you're lucky, the Jesus storybook Bible. And that, and that is the sum of our Christian education. Unless you're a homeschool mom wearing a denim jumper. And, um, <laughs> no. you know, with a long braid. That was the other Janelle that said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I can say that. And then, and uh, one time I have been a homeschool mom briefly. And in, and in still technically, yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, unless you are, like really, um, you know, taking initiative like that, that is most Christians, that's, that's their children's education. And 
Janelle um, Wood and I had a far different education in our youth group um, by our youth pastor who, you know, he was so tremendous in what he invested. Many, many people came out of that youth group. He's only there, what, like three years or five years. Mm -hmm. and, and at one point the youth group grew to 300 people and, and many, many people we know are still in the faith and or in ministry because of um, Jonathan Schmidt and his wife, Janice, and their, uh, and all, and how he built the leadership. I mean, that youth group, a huge part of it was all, so many parents were involved. Like Janelle's parents were involved. My parents were involved. They were hands-on. It was not a 19 or 20 year old fresh in, out of high school or in college leading us. It was like seasoned Christians. And also I remember from that youth group time, we were orientated towards, we are not of this world. Christians are going to be different and, and, um, and people will not like you. And, you know, and we are to love, we are to love. We are orientated towards that. And I remember what we, when we were at your house, Janelle and um, your husband said, if we do our job right, our kids will, what did he say? If we do our job right, um, he said something like, if we do our, do you remember this? No. Uh, if we do our job right, our kids will be different and that yeah. will be a good thing. He yeah. said something like that. And, and I really loved it um, because I think the nineties, there's a lot of weird fashion choices and <laughs> purity culture, which you know, I, um, I read, I kissed Dane goodbye and still managed to, I don't, you know, I'm not disgruntled about purity culture. It's <laughs> a land of this guy. And um, <laughs> that's another story. And, uh, but um, yeah, you know, there's lots of things going on in churches in the nineties, a lot of things, but there were some good things about us being aliens and strangers and also on mission to love others. And somewhere between now and then I've, I lost that. And I forgot that Christians are actually supposed to be orientated towards suffering. And it became as a huge, so I, I wouldn't say I had church hurt. I, I'd say I had sinful people like I am doing sinful, hurtful things like I do. And it was a hard and messy thing, but I wouldn't call it church hurt, what I what we experienced. Um, I call it the Lord saving us and calling us out of we were frogs in a kettle. You know, when was our when were we going to start deconstructing? you know, I, and I felt called out of that church, but it wasn't a church hurt moment for me. Um, not yet that maybe I'll come next year <laughs> and, um, I hope my pastor's not listening. Um, and, uh, anyway, Sorry. but the, um, I would also say that, uh, the, you know, um, that's why I want to teach my kids is that we have to orientate ourselves to suffering. And I think we really lost, we put the self in the middle of the Christian church and we are no longer orientated to the suffering and to carrying the cross. And we've forgotten, if you start reading some of those, um, you know, if you start reading Acts and all that Paul went through, um, Hans and his job has faced, we face political persecution as um, Christians in our town. And, you know, with a threat of violence sometimes with people who um, don't like Christians and are protesting how the mission is handling homelessness. And I'm telling our childcare pro um, providers what's going on, only please keep your eyes on our kids. Um, only we pick them up. I mean, it's that real, we got a security system installed. It's that real of a threat. I don't think anything will happen. And yet we're still making these moves to be safe. And, and we're, you know, and somewhere along the way, we forgot that Christians are going to make people angry. They are not, if, if the culture likes you, it, well, it's a sinful culture. What are we doing wrong? You know, to some extent, right? To some extent. Um, and, you know, and so, and, and that kind of gets messy when you think about, uh, uh, you know, all the horrible things Christians have done too, right? So. Yeah, yeah it's complex. Mm -hmm. I know for myself too, I mean, I hate the suffering. I hate the persecution, but in some ways it's the very thing that brings me to Christ in a deeper way <clears throat> to my knees yeah. in prayer saying, I need your mercy now because this is awful. And, and, but what that does for me is it makes me dependent upon Christ. And it isn't just like Janelle was saying, it isn't just whatever makes me feel good or what I want to do or whatever sort of, you know, gymnastics I can do to try and make the scriptures bend to my will. It, it, it like, now I'm hungry. Like, okay, Lord, what are you saying in the scriptures here? 
Pava instead of kind of this easier kind of Christianity that I think can happen sometimes in America. Mm. And so in many ways that suffering, I believe is truly a gift and, and the persecution is a gift. And I don't solicit it by any means, but um, even like going to college, to a very liberal college and I experienced a lot of kind of rolled eyes toward me and my faith and, and people thinking that I was a loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were at Western, you were, you were, you know, you really chose to be a Christian because it was not yeah. looked at Your faith was, positively at all. It was yeah. real. And, and man, did that make my faith real to me? Mm-hmm. Like it, like I relied on, on Jesus in this stuff. And I remember I was, I used to make documentary films and I was working on a project about a church in the Gaza Strip and uh, they're experiencing, they get the missiles from Israel, but they also, would get bombs from Hamas on their front porch. And I was asking the pastor, I said, I really want to capture what the Spirit's doing in your church. What would you say the Spirit's doing? And he's like, the faith of our people is purified by fire. (laughs) Like these believers are real because their lives depend on it. And I thought, whoa, like what a gift that would be to have that kind of intimacy with the Lord. And I think about that, you know, when life is easy and I, I read the statistics, you know, in, in Western Christianity, like, oh, 50%, it's the same as the, the broader culture divorce rates and these kind of challenges. And, and, uh, and like, is the church really relevant? Like, is it actually doing anything? Is it transforming lives? And um, it's interesting, I was, I was reading an article and uh, on, on those studies, and it showed that most of those studies for believers that they qualified as well, anyone that goes to church once or twice a year or calls himself a Christian, well, they match the culture. But for the 10% that actually do go to church on a regular basis and do pray daily that are more serious about their faith, all of them, or most all of them, volunteer more, are more generous, or have happier sex lives. Uh, have. Uh, I noticed she walked away when you said that. <laughs> When she's out of the screen, I'll say stuff like that, but, uh, right? But I mean, it's statistical evidence that people that are serious about their Christian walk and their Christian faith. And way lower out. divorce rate too. Yeah, the divorce rate is way lower. It's nowhere near 50%. And, and you see these flourishing lives on a deeper level. So it is true uh, that people that take their faith seriously are living it out uh, and, and having lives that reflect what Jesus calls us to live and and so there's a part of me that's like no look at the numbers too like <laughs> this is uh you know when I get disillusioned at the, the western church I'm like well yeah there's a lot a lot of good going on uh, as well and it actually does have impact and changes lives if people get serious about it mm-hmm. yeah and when you guys were out here you shared about a film that I'd never heard of before called Free Burma Rangers. Um, yeah. Bernice, you and I, weren't we, weren't we talking about this? Yeah. Did you watch it? Yeah, I'm, I, I, um, I'm not allowed to watch things like that. I'm way too sensitive. Oh my God. I, I haven't seen it either, Bernice. I, yeah, it would, hum- I like, yeah. yeah, it's one of those things that I get the, yeah, I couldn't watch it, uh, but I am familiar with it. Yes. Okay. I had Hans watch it and then tell me all about it. Oh my gosh. Yep. I, Hans, honestly, probably one of the best documentaries, if not the best documentary I've ever seen in my life, um, because of what you just described, which is um, just somebody who knew that he was gifted in a certain way, being poured out for Jesus Christ. After we watched the movie, I don't want to give too much away. Look it up. Free Burma Rangers. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, My dad, we watched it with my dad, Brian and I, and my dad turned and he just said, man, makes you want to have faith like that. And when I watch stuff like that, I'm just like, man, God, I want to be, not that I want to suffer, but I want to step out in faith to the point where I know that if you don't come through, there's a problem, right? I want to be all in for you, Um, even if it means people don't like me, even if it means that, you know, it doesn't go well in this temporal world, uh, because there's an eternal value to 
walking with him. And you see the fruit of that, right? Like you're saying, you see that people are living more fulfilled lives and the hope that we have, you know, the Apostle Paul said, don't be ashamed of what you have because you have hope. We have hope in Christ that the world doesn't have. And I mean, right now, as we're recording this and next week when this airs, you know, Afghanistan and the things that are happening with COVID and the things that are happening in Haiti and everything feels so heavy and so much. And one of the questions that Bernice, you and I talked about in the very beginning, in the beginning of our conversations was, what good is the church moving forward? Right? The church is the body of Christ. He is the hope of the world. He uses us. He uses us to bring hope and a, a balm of love and peace and joy into a suffering world that desperately needs him. Um, and so when we talk about deconstruction, I've really enjoyed this conversation, by the way. It's been really rich and um, I'm just really thankful. I know both of you and all and you too, birdies. Like this whole thing has just been really great. But when we talk about deconstruction, I think if I'm being honest, sometimes I get annoyed uh, because I'm like, you're trading in um, I, I mean, I don't, I love talking with people about questions, but when we're staying in that place of deconstruction or we, we're trading the truth for a lie and maybe there was never the truth there to begin with, what looked like truth really wasn't there. Um, I get upset because I'm like, you're bastardizing what's so beautiful in this world and you're choosing to hold on to that. Um, and that's something I have to repent of sometimes because I get so frustrated with people that I, I say, why did you leave? Why are you gone? I, I, I wish you were here. Um, I get frustrated sometimes when I see people deconstructing instead of loving them. Mm -hmm. I, I think I do too. I, I really get frustrated. And, but part of it is that they're missing out. And part of it is, um, and feeling this loss. And are we going to be able to continue as friends? Like, can we still have, mm -hmm. because I find that are, I find, find that it isn't in this day and age where, um, all, you know, hot topic, uh, hot topics, if you don't agree on people, um, whether you're on the left or the right, you're getting cut out of people's lives, right? And it's, you're morally repulsive. And so it's harder to remain friends if you, degree, if you disagree on some of these um, hot topic issues. And, but more and more, I find too, that there's so much, um, putting of the self in the middle of everything. And, and that is what I'm really recoiling from. So uh, if people are asking these hard questions, I want them to ask hard questions. I think that's really important. I really wanna say that. I think it's really important. It's really important to engage in authentic, real conversations. Janelle, that's one reason I love this format that you have of inviting other people on and you know, if you're finding something real and searching for that. But um, I also think about what you just said um, about uh, really being the hands and feet of Christ. So if we're just reading our self-help books and looking at um, influencers or Instagrammers online that we like and finding quotes that we like, um, and that's, you know, uh, and what are, what are we building our lives around? And so, um, so I guess, you know, I guess I'm kind of recoiling from some of the relationships where I see of, I just want to shake my friends and be like, what are you contributing? You know, mm -hmm. if, if you are still calling yourself part of the body of Christ, whether you're a progressive Christian or an Orthodox Christian, I see um, a lot of people in America putting their American self in the middle, including myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading Acts, especially when we went through this hard time this last winter of a lot of political upheaval in town. And I'm reading about how Paul was beaten and then he pops up and runs and preaches the gospel again, <laughs> and shipwrecked. And then he, you know, and does all these things. And what am I doing? I'm whining and complaining and scared about the minimal amount of um, pushback we've gotten, you know, and reading a ton and, and like obsessively thinking about it and so mm -hmm. focused on myself instead of what am I really doing to serve the poor? What am I really doing um, to be the hands and feet of Christ in my city to people? Um, and, and that could be to money I send out in the world and what I do out in the world. And, um, and, but, uh, and also what am I doing in my own community? And, and I think that 
that is also what I feel like deconstructionism in this cultural moment is a lot of self-love that is not focused on, it's a lot of uh, repulsion from, I think, the American Christian nationalism that Bernice was talking about, uh, that that kind of repulsion from that and, um, and other political things I don't know if you talk about and mention on this, <laughs> in this podcast, but it's also a lot of self-love and putting the self in the middle of all conversations because I am the truth. Mm-hmm. Instead of Jesus being the truth, the way in the life, it's I am the truth and I will find my own way to build my own life you know, and, um, and I think that that is a lot of what I recoil from in some of those deconstruction conversations. You have a way with words, especially at 930 at night. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> That's, she just said what I meant. <laughs> this, is, this is how it is. All right. Bernice, do you have any final thoughts? Um, if, and I know you've got the final question there. Yeah, I've really, I've really appreciated hearing from both of you guys and getting to spend the time with you too, Janelle. I sure have enjoyed this. And I'm excited for our final conversation too, Bernice. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which stands out to you most at this time and why? That's a question for both of you. I would say probably piggybacking. I hate that. I hate that dialogue. Uh, piggy. I hate that word piggybacking on something. Anyway, but <laughs> piggyback on what I just said, which was, I think that um, the love piece really, uh, I have an affinity for right now because so often I think I'm loving, but I'm really being selfish. And I think our world right now blinds people to what love is. And there's a lot of talk about self-love and you need to take care of yourself and have, you know, self-care and be loving towards yourself. But I remember, you know, let's, let's book in this with more talk about high school. Uh, <laughs> and I remember in high school, I felt so lonely. And so I think I told this story to you when I visited, I felt so lonely in high school. And there was this kind of group of the cool kids um, that I was not a part of in youth group, even though it was a great youth group, there still felt to be this click. And I remember one night, um, I was so focused on it. And I wish I could be friends with those people. I'm just not cool enough. You know how it was in the 90s. And <laughs> let's picture all those 90s high school TV shows. And I just wasn't cool enough. I felt on the outskirts. And I remember once we were at this in the church parking lot and dusk was um, falling. And I saw that click all standing in a circle together and their shoulders were, you know, you literally couldn't get in the circle because they were shoulder to shoulder. And then looking out, I saw all these other smaller groups or just other people um, all scattered around the parking lot by themselves. And I thought, why do I want to get into this, the cool group when there's all these other precious people that God has made in his image? And, um, and I really realized through lots of other processes too, how selfish I was and focused on me and that Bible verse about you will find yourself when you you lose yourself for me when you lose yourself for Christ that's when you'll find yourself and I think we think we'll find ourselves when we have more self-care and more time and and if we just read the right self-help books but really we will only find ourselves um, through losing ourselves in Christ and I think that has to be has to do with being the hands and feet in of Christ and having physical love, the physical, well, that sounds, that sounds not that right. <laughs> like the right but, um, <laughs> but being the hands and feet of Christ and physically helping um, other people in non-weird ways. Um, and is this here. all game be added in? <laughs> no, I'm keeping all this. This is so funny. <laughs> Yeah. And anyway, and so I think about that, like, we are not going to find ourselves through self-care, even though I don't want, we need some of that, right? You know, but I think it's gone overboard. I think that we really find ourselves when we are loving and serving others. And there's something mystical even that happens of like, we're trying to be the hands and feet of Christ. But really, when we serve the poor, Mother Teresa talked about it, they become Christ to us, and they end up serving us. And that, um, and that is something incredible and miraculous that happens. And Hans experiences that at the mission and, um, and has had incredible moments of, and in much of his staff, just beautiful, incredible moments where he'll ask for people who are unhoused to pray for him. And it is powerful prayers from people who were like, 
moments ago throwing apples at passing cars, you know, and, and, and not in their right mind, but, but the humbleness and repentance and uh, spirituality of, uh, of people is still um, sometimes in such more fullness than we can ever imagine because we haven't, we haven't had that need. We haven't been in that place. And he, Hans has had some incredible experiences uh, working with a homeless like that. If I were to answer the question, uh, I think the greatest of these is love, uh, right? But part of my thinking lately too, as I see the suffering of the world and I see the cultural moment that we're in, uh, the sense of eternity is becoming valuable to me. And in a sense, this, the long game of what the Lord is up to and his act of making whole of his creation, making the world right again. And keeping that long game in mind uh, allows me to bear under the suffering more because I know that God is at work and moving and transforming his world back into himself. And, uh, and that's a, yeah, that's why the book of Revelation was such a preached upon book in the 1800s because life was much harder then <laughs> and so full of hope. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that long game uh, is really becoming important in the sense of eternity. Well, well you guys, this has been a very rich, uh, I'm going to go back and listen to this a couple times myself. I mean, I think this was full of really great, great conversation and great thoughts. And I'm just really thankful, like I said, for all of you being here. Um, real quick, I just want to give a shout out to Janice Schmidt. Um, I don't know, Janice, if you're going to listen to this, but I just want to say, um, you know, Jonathan's favorite verse that he told us over and over again was Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And uh, listening to Janelle here tonight, I'm just thinking this is some of the harvest, right? Um, anyway, until next time. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories, and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.